It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Elaine about restless leg syndrome. According to the National Institute of Health, restless leg syndrome, or RLS, also known as Willis-Eckbaum disease, primary RLS, and idiopathic RLS, is a neurological disorder that causes unpleasant or uncomfortable sensations in your legs and an irresistible urge to move them. Symptoms commonly occur in the late afternoon or evening hours and are often most intense at night when you are resting. RLS can severely disrupt your sleep, making it difficult to fall asleep or return to sleep after waking up. Moving the legs or walking typically relieves the discomfort, but the sensations often recur once the movement stops. And for Elaine, RLS has been severely disruptive to her life. She has been on a decades-long odyssey, first trying to understand what was happening to her body, and then trying to figure out appropriate ways to manage this disease. And I was shocked at how many things she's tried, how many alleys she's gone down trying to figure out how to control her RLS. She has tried many things, prescription and otherwise, to try to manage her RLS, including dopamine agonists, gabapentin, tramadol, kratom, cannabis, and her newest discovery, microdosing an opioid called bupronorphine. Some of these medications came from doctors, and some of them came from Elaine's own research into RLS. And many of them are highly stigmatized. But Elaine is willing to try anything to learn to manage her disease. And in fact, since starting this microdosed buprenorphine for the last three months, her disease is under complete control and she's not experiencing any side effects. And this is something that she's very excited to spread the word about. I was astonished by how fascinating this conversation was and so impressed by Elaine's perseverance and her willingness to try anything that might work. This is often what it takes to learn to live with a chronic illness, learning to advocate for yourself, doing your own research, trying things out, and being unwilling to give up. But if you yourself have restless leg syndrome, this podcast is so useful. Elaine's decades of research and experience all condensed down into one conversation, full of things to try, full of warnings, like her recommendations against using dopamine agonists to treat RLS, details about stigmatized substances that doctors may not be willing to discuss with you, and a message of hope from someone who is currently successfully managing this disease. So once again, we have a fantastic episode that I am thrilled to share with you. So grateful to Elaine for sharing her story and her experience, and we'll share it with you in just a couple minutes. As I mentioned last week, this podcast has recently received a creator grant from the Stimpunks Foundation. So this episode is made possible in part by the Stimpunks. You can find them online at stimpunks.org. Their organization is focused around supporting neurodivergent and disabled individuals. Amazing organization, and I'm so grateful for their support of this podcast, and I hope you'll check them out online. This podcast is also made possible through the support of our listeners directly through Patreon. You can learn all about our ongoing Patreon campaign to support this podcast at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this podcast at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. For everyone in our Patreon community, we have a bonus episode coming up this week, so keep your eyes peeled for that. My partner Andy and I sit down once a month to talk about what's happening in our lives. We both had birthdays this month. I just turned 39 years old a couple days ago. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about for this month's bonus episode, including my brand new second diagnosis of small fiber neuropathy. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast, gaining access to monthly bonus episodes, or even special recognition on the podcast and gifts, like our Major Pain coasters and tote bags, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Another great way to support this podcast is by signing up through Rare Patient Voice to participate in research studies and surveys where you can be paid for your time an average of $120 per hour. We had someone new sign up this week, which I very much appreciate. Every time someone signs up, I get a $10 Amazon gift card, which is super helpful. If you have a diagnosis of any kind, or if you are a caregiver, you qualify to sign up on Rare Patient Voice, and you can do so using our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. Nothing on this podcast is intended as medical advice. 
So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our incredible episode with Elaine about restless leg syndrome. Elaine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. You are an Al Hadif. You are uh, in the family. If people are familiar, you know, regular listeners will have heard from my partner, Andy Al Hadif, many times. Uh, and I saw you recently and we were talking about the podcast and you told me a bit about your own experiences. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm very excited to hear more and share your story on the podcast today. Okay, I'm excited to tell people about it because there needs to be more exposure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we're all about here on the podcast. <laughs> okay, but before we get to that, Elaine, let's get to know you a little bit. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, um, I'm a Seattle native. I was a teacher for the first 30 years of my career, uh, taught elementary grades, junior high school grades, and then I taught um, adults um, English as a second language. That was the best. Mm. Got to travel all over the world without leaving anywhere. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also an artist and a maker. I have to be making something all the time, all kinds of things. I'm a grandmother of five. And I have a great life, except for some of the health issues that I deal with. Yeah. Tell me about your art and your making. What is your medium of choice? Um, right now, I'm working with acrylic paint, and I paint mandalas using tiny dots. Oh, wow. <laughs> that so sounds sort whole, of meditative. The whole design is comprised of dots. And I do it on canvas. I do it on cast stones and i do it on natural stones wow that sounds amazing very cool well let's get into your story elaine what is your major pain well i have this horrible affliction called restless leg syndrome mm -hmm. restless leg syndrome this is something that i have a little bit of experience with myself and i know how extremely frustrating it can be uh, but for anyone who's unfamiliar what is restless leg syndrome well, it's a neurological disease um, for most people. There are a couple different kinds. Some of them are brought on by environmental things like uh, medications or drug addiction, um, detox. And then for some people, it's genetic. Mm. Most of the time, it's dealt with in the same way, but there's also... I don't know, a lot of levels of the disease as far as intensity. I mean, some people have it pretty mildly. It happens once or twice a week. It happens at night. Uh, some people have it all day, every day. Some people have it somewhere in between. It started for me when I was in my mid-30s. I'm now almost 70. Mm. And it's the intensity has gradually increased over the years. So I got to the point where something needed to be done or I would be pushing up weeds. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about what this feels like, restless leg syndrome. So it's like uncontrollable jerking of your legs. You know, for me, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a building pressure, like a teapot that needs to explode. And then my legs will jerk and then it will kind of relax. And then it'll happen again over and over again that's a good description i'm like subconsciously rubbing my legs right now <laughs> when you're talking um you know that's part of the difficulty of the disease because it's so hard to describe mm. and it feels different to different people for me it's like my body is anxious not my emotion or my uh mental it's like my body is anxious and I can't sit still and almost like a pulling inside and then the jerking, the got to get up and move, shake your legs, uh, pound your feet, um, whatever, rub my legs, pound my legs, whatever I have to do to make it feel better. 
And generally what makes it feel better is getting up and walking around. Interesting. Yeah. For me, it's like, I'll, it, for me, it happens mostly at the end of the day. And it's mm-hmm. actually recently been a lot worse for me, which is interesting because my overall health has been way better. So I'm wondering if maybe it's one of my medications is triggering it, you know, like you just described. I had never thought about that before, actually, that maybe it could be it medication related. Be. Do you take an antidepressant? I do not. I take a lot of antihistamines and mast cell stabilizers. <laughs> antihistamines could do it really like I, okay i can't take um what's the like the general over-the-counter one like uh, allegra i can't take yeah. those okay yeah so yeah for me it's like i i'll be lying on the couch it usually happens at the end of the day a couple times a week i'd say and yeah that body anxiety that you described it's like mm-hmm. but focalized like in my legs and i'll just have to kick you know <laughs> mm-hmm. i like kicked my legs a few times um I've never thought about getting up and walking around. That's something to try. Oh my gosh, that's, I mean, I've walked around the house at one o'clock in the morning reading mm. <laughs> because I can't sit down and read and I can't sleep. Um, yeah. I will do a lot of things walking around and standing up. <laughs> yeah. And for someone who's never experienced this, can you try to describe the uh, the intense discomfort and frustration of your body being active when you are at rest and how frustrating that can feel? The problem is, is I am not at rest. I can't be. Right. It's like I can't sit down and watch a movie or in the middle of the day, I can't take a nap or read because within 10 minutes of sitting down, I've got to get up and move. It's so, it's so hard to explain. And I think that's why it took so long to have a name and to be diagnosed wow yeah when i had when i started it, it's like i had no idea what was going on and i just knew it was uncomfortable and it's like well how can i tell a doctor when i can't even really explain what it is or what's happening how it feels so i just kind of let it go and luckily at that time it wasn't you know as bad as it is now yeah and that's in Um, your in your 30s you said yeah wow and at that time, there was no name for it. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with my brother, and he had the same problem. And I thought, mm. hmm, I wonder if it's hereditary. And then one day, I found an article in the paper. Uh, this was probably 20 years ago. And they were talking about um, a disorder called restless leg syndrome and it explained it and i got on the phone and i said oh my god you won't believe this and i showed it to my brother and then i remembered my father always when he was sitting watching tv he was wiggling around his legs were jumping up and down and you know i i didn't think anything of it i just thought it was my dad and now i know that's what it was. And my mom used to tell me it was hard to sleep with him because he was jerking around all the time. Wow. So in my situation, it's definitely hereditary. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I know my dad has had uh, some restless leg syndrome. I've had a little, little bit before now, but now is the first time, you know, the last couple of months. It's like, wow, this is a problem. <laughs> um, well, I yeah. hope it's not around histamines because I know you have to take I that. have to take them. Yeah. So I'll bet that I have a genetic predisposition that maybe the medication has turned up the volume well and i take antidepressants Mm. so that turns up the volume it does okay yeah you know it's like people say well stop your antidepressants uh no i don't think i can do that yeah yeah right yeah i mean yeah i'd rather have restless leg syndrome than what i was dealing with before where like my my body wasn't functioning because of mast cell activation so yeah yeah, it's everything with health is a trade-off. So, so you essentially diagnosed yourself by reading this article. And do you have a sense of how long you had been living with the disease before you discovered the name? At least 10 or 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So, it's just yeah. a part of your life. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I was, you know, crazy. And it's mm. like, I, I couldn't tell anybody about it because mm. how could I? I couldn't describe it didn't know what it was yeah luckily like i said it wasn't that bad so i could just kind of you know go on shrug it off how how often was it happening and what time of day was it happening mostly at night in the evening when i'd be sitting around on the couch Hmm. you know um 
I don't remember at that age it waking me up at night, but it probably did. And then I would say in the last 10 years, it's gotten extremely worse. And this is one of the things I want to talk about that I think people need to know because a lot of people don't that have restless leg syndrome. For the longest time, doctors were prescribing a drug called dopamine agonist. Mm -hmm. And it was a drug that was prescribed for Parkinson's patients. Mm -hmm. And they took it at a much higher dose. But for people with RLS, what started to happen is a process called augmentation. And so after a period of time, and it was different for everybody, the drug would start making your symptoms worse. And you'd have to start taking more. And then mm. it was a continual thing. Luckily for me, um, I had read about augmentation and I knew it was happening. And it started really shortly after I started taking the drug. So I was like, uh, I'm not taking this anymore. Luckily, I got off of it in time because many people didn't. They kept taking more and more and more. Their symptoms were getting worse. And then they went through hell trying to get off of it. Wow. Okay. So so once you found the name, you went to a doctor and got a, a prescription for a dopamine agonist is what it sounds like. Well, I went to, I, ha I have sleep apnea. So I had a sleep doctor mm. and I went to the sleep doctor and he said, oh, well, this is what we give for this. Okay. And this was probably 10 years ago. Okay. Um, so I started it probably within six months i had lots of side effects i'm mm. kind of the poster child for side effects mm. of drugs and um i just was like i can't take this there has to be something else yeah you know i was i was passing out sometimes my stomach bothered me my joints were hurting and i finally figured out it must be this drug yeah and then i started to augment did the drug help with the restless leg syndrome even it though it did yeah. it did in the beginning it yeah. did it's always a trade-off you know all yeah, these things well yeah but that was too big of a trade-off sure absolutely so so i spent hours on the internet um if there are any rls people out there that don't know about the rls foundation you should because it's a wealth of information and there's a forum where you can discuss things with other people in the same boat. And so I spent a lot of time on there trying to figure out what else can I take? What else can I take? So I moved on to another drug, gabapentin, mm. which is something they still prescribe. The um, dopamine agonist, like they're called Repinerol, Promexapol, I don't remember the other names are no longer the first line of treatment. Interesting. Though there are many doctors that don't know that, which is another point that I want to come back to later. So my doctor put me on gabapentin, which is also, I believe, a drug for epilepsy. Yeah, and it's also prescribed sometimes for nerve pain. That's one of the medications I tried out years ago. Yeah, 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 for sure. My husband took it for that. Yeah. Um, and that worked like a charm until I started getting up in the morning and feeling like I was underwater for a good five hours. Wow. Just like brain fog, things kind of not totally. working. Totally, <laughs> and depressed. And depressed, wow, okay. I talked to a neurologist who said, yes, it can cause depression. Wow. And I said, but I'm taking an antidepressant. And he said, it doesn't matter. Hmm. So I had to get off that. Again, I spent many hours on the internet and I found a product. It's a bo botanical that comes from Southeast Asia called Kratom. I don't know if I can talk about this on here. We can, yeah. I am familiar with, with Kratom. There's a lot of... Ah. Um, th there's talk about banning it because there are Many some, times. yeah, there's Many concerns times. about side effects, but it's something that's often smoke, uh, sold at smoke shops and it gives you, I, I think it gives you a little bit of a high. I had a friend who worked at a smoke shop that used to sell that. So I've definitely heard some things about it. Okay. So not a lot of people know about it, especially doctors. Um, 
And if you do want to take it for medicinal purposes, I would not suggest buying it at a smoke shop. <laughs> there are companies that are, they're vetted, they have tested all their products, they go through a whole protocol to make sure that their product is safe. Um, and that would be a better option. I've uh, never heard of medicinal kratom before. That's fascinating. Well, I know because people take it to get high. Mm. And I was on a kratom forum for a long time. And I thought, oh, after a while reading stuff, this is not the place for me. Because basically people were way abusing it. They were drug addicts. And I thought, no, this is you know not what I'm doing here. Mm. So I took kratom for eight years. It was a godsend. It wow. helped. I didn't, it didn't make me high, it made me sleepy, and I could sleep through the night without being bothered by the RLS. Wow. Until eight years later, my doctor kept telling me with blood tests, you're dehydrated. I can see it in here, you're dehydrated. And my hair started falling out. Oh, wow. So and definitely some side effects. It took me a couple years to figure out that it was probably the kratom. Yeah. And as soon as I stopped it, my hair stopped falling out. So wow. now I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. So I belong to a RLS group on Facebook. And I know some people like poo-poo that, but that group has been amazing and helpful and comforting and because we're all in the same boat. And different people have, you know, different intensities of it. Most doctors know nothing about treating this. Mm. They have heard of it. They really know nothing about treating this. I've had that experience. And they still try and prescribe the Repinerol. The last time I talked to my sleep doctor about it, he said, well, I can give you a different dopamine and then we can give you this to blah, 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 help this. And I'm like, no, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. I'll just continue taking my Kratom until mm. then my hair started falling out. Yeah. Um, so from this Facebook group, I found a doctor in California. He is one of the top doctors in the country who is an expert with RLS. Um, he's on the board of the, the Restless Leg Syndrome Foundation and writes a lot of articles for that. And he's a professor at Stanford and trains sleep doctors in how to deal with Restless Leg Syndrome. So I said, okay, I'm biting the bullet. I'm flying down to California to see him. <laughs> and how long ago was this? This was in June. In like, June? Uh, yeah. Three months ago. <laughs> Yeah, just almost three months ago. Okay. Um, and people raved about him. They said, he saved my life. He's changed my life. He's amazing. And I said, okay, I'm going to go. So I went, flew down there for an overnight, met with him. He sat with me for an hour and a half. We talked about it. Um, you know, he wanted to know all the history of what I tried and how long I'd had the symptoms and and then he very simply prescribed a drug that I'd never heard of. It's unfortunate in a way, but it's also very fortunate because the drugs now that they prescribe for restless leg syndrome are opioids. And they have found that that is the best way of treating it, but they're very low dose, microdose opioids. And I know there's a huge stigma about opioids and it concerns people it concerned me but he gave it to me and i said okay i'll try it and i told him about being the poster child for side effects um and i asked him what about the kratom that i'm taking and i was oh i also tried tramadol and that also augments and eventually makes it worse which was starting to happen um, and he said, just stop them cold turkey, take this, stop them cold turkey. And I was like, ooh, that's a little <laughs> scary. And he said, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. So I got my prescription, took my first dose, 
the the normal dose is two to three milligrams and I take like 0.25. What is the name of the drug? It's called bupronorphine. 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 And it's also with naloxone. And for those people that don't know, it's a drug they use for someone who wants to get off opioids. Hmm. It makes no sense <laughs> or um any other kind of drugs it's like a methadone okay but it's a much better version of methadone because and he told me this he says methadone makes you feel high and then it has the potential for abuse and this bupromorphine bupronorphine doesn't Wow. And it's a much milder drug, but it works for RLS. And you're taking less than a milligram. I mean, that's a real microdose. Yes, yes. yes. And the, I take 0.25 at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and then another 0.25 before I go to bed. How do you even get that small of a dose? Are you cutting pills into little pieces? <laughs> well, it comes in a little sheet. It's a little tiny, maybe three quarters of an inch by half an inch sheet. And I have to cut it into quarters. Oh, interesting. But I'll do anything. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. What, what's the, uh, it's only been three months, but what has been the difference with this drug? It saved my life. Basically, wow. I don't, um, unless I wait too long. I don't have any symptoms, any. It's like I wouldn't know I had RLS. Wow. Wow, that's but incredible. But if I wait too long to take my dose, then I can feel it starting up. Okay. I'm wondering if you've talked to other people who have taken this drug in the support groups. Has anyone else experienced what you described with the other drugs where over time it maybe doesn't work as well? No. Really? There is no risk of aug augmentation and there is no risk of addiction because it's such a small dose and there's a little part of me that doesn't trust that mm. because it's an opioid but um in my situation and this is going to sound bad but it's the truth um i'd rather be a drug addict than live with restless leg syndrome I don't think anyone could call you a drug addict for taking 0.25 milligrams a day. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if it's something you have to take, then you're kind of addicted to it. But I don't hmm. care because I can't live the other way. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. But you are, you are obviously using this responsibly. I am. Yeah, I mean, I don't have that, that addictive personality. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I just do it because I need to to function. Yeah, and I've also, you, you mentioned tramadol. I used to take tramadol as well, which is a synthetic opiate, which I definitely felt sort of a high when I would take it. And it was sort of like using cannabis products to deal with chronic pain, which thankfully my, med my new medications are treating way better than any of this other stuff used to. But it was sort of like, I'm still in pain, but I'm a little high, so it's easier to function. To deal with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's how I felt on tramadol and on cannabis products. And it, that that was better than being in so much pain that I can't think straight and, you know, can't go about my day. Um, I mean, this was years before I had my severe flare-up where, you know, I was playing shows and I would take tramadol preemptively knowing that my body was not going to let me rock out as hard if I didn't, you know, Do it. deal with the pain a little bit. Yes, and it's really complicated to have to make those choices of knowing that you're going to be in too much pain otherwise. Yeah. And opioids, because they are addictive and there is a stigma around it. Uh, you know, I really feel for a lot of patients out there who need them to survive. And I think that, I think taking opioids to survive is completely legit, completely valid, you know, and I agree. I think I there's agree. a lot of people that really need it out there. And I think that the stigma is extremely harmful. I also completely recognize that there are a lot of people for whom opioids were so addictive that it completely destroyed their lives. And they think of it as the worst thing that ever happened to them. And because addiction is a disease, there's all these layers of things happening on top of each other there. And it's, it's tough. And that's something I'm not an expert in and don't feel comfortable really speaking about, except for my own experiences of taking tramadol and seeing how it helped with my pain and helped me to function. You know, I never felt addicted to tramadol. 
and I took it at the most, maybe two, three times a week at most, mm. because if I took it more than that, it wouldn't work. And then I'd feel kind of sick. So it was easy to not get addicted to it. And I took it every day because it helped my RLS yeah. until it didn't. Yeah. And did you feel addicted to it when you were taking it every day? I don't know. I mean, it, it, having the RLS symptoms is so uncomfortable and so awful that I it, I never considered if I was addicted because mm. I had to take it. Yeah. I was afraid not to take it because I knew I would have the symptoms. Yeah. And I think that's a common thing for anyone that has health issues. They're afraid to not do what they're supposed to do because they know what the consequences would be. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you are in like almost in month three of being RLS free after, <laughs> you know, decades of dealing with this thing. How does that feel? It's amazing. I mean, I it, the first couple of weeks I would get up in the morning and I'd start doing stuff. And it's like, I didn't realize how sleep deprived I was because I have <laughs> insomnia too. I mean, my doctor diagnosed insomnia and I, I mean, I don't know that it could be separated from RLS, but I spent many nights of my life walking around. That's how I started doing the painting because it's what calmed me down and was kind of a meditation for me. Um, but now I sleep through the night and wow. it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the feeling of gratitude you must have for this doctor who provided this answer. I do. I do. Um, the sad part is, is if, if you're an RLS sufferer and you have to see a doctor here, and you mentioned bup buprenorphine, I don't think they would prescribe it. Right. Because they don't know that that's what's happening now. Yeah. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to do that this is to get the awareness out there because number one, the term restless leg syndrome sounds kind of innocuous. It's, you know, it, I, I think that people, it's like, oh yeah, your legs jerk around a little bit, hmm. but they don't know for people who have it really bad, how it can permeate your life. Yeah. So important to talk about. I That's why I was so excited to do this episode, because that's, even I'm guilty of that. And I have <laughs> some restless leg syndrome. <laughs> and even I just like, when it happens, I'm like, well, ignore it. You know, this is something that I can't do anything about. And thinking about people for whom it's a lot worse, like I can totally see how it, be, it would completely bring life to a standstill if you can't sleep because your body can't relax. Exactly. And you can't sit down in the middle of the afternoon and read a book or take a nap. Yeah. So I got a lot done around the house because I couldn't <laughs> sit down. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, like I said in the beginning, if there was not a way to control this, I think I might be pushing up weeds. Wow. That's how bad I have it. Yeah. And you've tried so many things over the years, some of which worked for stretches of time mm -hmm. to kind of get you through mm -hmm. until you could find the next thing that would help more. Exactly. When that one would fail for yeah. whatever reason. I also tried can cannabis. Oh, really? Um, and that helped, the right, but I had to find the right strain because not every strain would help. Yeah. But then, you know, I'd have to be up at two o'clock in the morning having some more and then at five o'clock in the morning mm. having some more because it only lasted for a few hours. Yeah. What was the strain that was helpful? It was usually a hybrid. Okay. I mean, for anybody that knows anything about cannabis, it would seem like the Indica's would be the best yeah. for sleep and calming your body down. But for me... It's almost the opposite. Interesting. The sativas are yeah. better. Well, and if it's got a whole lot of THC in it, then it makes me crazy. Yeah. So I had to find a really mild, mild strain. Okay. And do you know if, uh, you know, I just know for me for chronic pain, when I was using cannabis, CBD was sort of a must have. Um, I was going with a one to one THC CBD ratio indica mm -hmm. leaning. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. was, was CBD helpful for? 
for RLS? I would try and find um, a strain that was like 7% THC, 6% CBD, mm. or even higher in the CBD. And that combination was helpful, yeah. but only for a few hours. Right. Okay. Yeah. But you know, it's good. Everything we can list that people can try is is good. Yeah, for sure. So interesting about how, um, I, I can't remember the name of the drug, <laughs> buponorphamine. <laughs> the last part sounds like morphine, but okay. it's with an N, bupronorphine. Bupronorphine. Mm -hmm. So, so interesting. And th this is very common, actually, when we get specific tips on the podcast of actual medications that are really helpful for people to try. It's very often something that's extremely difficult to get prescribed. For, for mm -hmm. exactly the reason that you're discussing, which is that mm -hmm. doctors don't know about it. And I'm running and into that. And it's an opioid. Sure. And it's an opioid, which is a really, really complicating factor. You know, the reason I stopped taking tramadol is because I couldn't get it anymore. It became easier to get cannabis products when that was legalized. So I switched over and felt like that was more uh, useful long term anyway, um, until I got my diagnosis. Well, here's what I did with the tramadol. I asked my doctor for a prescription. She would not give me one. And I said, well, I go to Mexico often and I bought it there. So I'm that's what I'm going to do. And yeah. I bought my prescriptions in Mexico over the counter. It's ridiculous that these are the lengths that people have to go to. So how does this make you feel as a patient where you have to jump through these extreme hoops? You've tried all of these medications that... Uh, other people would consider to be stigmatized, you know, kratom, opiates, cannabis, and you're just trying to exist and have, you know, a quote unquote normal life and be able to sleep at night. So you have to make these choices, but you're getting sort of negative pushback from all sides. How does that make you feel? It's very frustrating and it makes me really angry and not to sound smug, but in many cases, the RLS patient knows more about the disease than the average doctor. Mm. Um, maybe not so true with a sleep doctor, but I feel like I know more than my sleep doctor. He wasn't aware that they're not prescribing, you know, those dopamine agonist, agonists anymore. Um, and then I, you know, there's, it's a little bit intimidating because I don't want to walk in there and, you know, act like I know more than they do. Mm. But in some cases, it's true. And um, it, it's very frustrating. Yeah. And for someone who can't afford to fly to another state to talk to this one specific I, doctor, who I'm sure yeah, is really booked I up. I thought about that. I thought about yeah. that. It's like, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate that I'm able to do that. But there probably are many people that aren't. Yeah. There's a real access issue there, which mm -hmm. is also it's so tragic. When this type of inf information exists, I'm sure that someone's going to find this podcast with restless leg syndrome and hear, oh my God, there's this answer that I could try. But then the, the actual awesome. step to get there, to get the actual prescription might be either, you know, unattainable or could take a really long time. And that's really messed up. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. And, you know, I think that within a few years, Maybe it will be more acceptable to doctors to prescribe a low-dose opioid, but we have such an issue with it in this country that, you know, it, it'll take time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we really need to normalize opioids for the people who need them and find ways to deal with the addiction issue that is a potential. Mm -hmm. I see both sides of it. I know that there are pain patients who really need opioids. I know that there are people who get addicted to them and it can be very damaging. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that we need to be talking about this with compassion and understanding and trying to work through it. Are, are there other, you might not know the answer to this, are there other opioids for which a small micro dose can help with RLS? Pretty much most of them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The thing that's nice about buprenorphine is it doesn't make you high mm. so if you have that tendency to lean towards you know really liking to get high this would not be the drug 
which is why they are prescribing it because all it does is help your RLS. I'm assuming it at that dose. At I that mean, dose that you, normal dose is two to two to four milligrams. Yeah, I'd be on the ground sleeping <laughs> for a month if I took that much. Yeah, I'm assuming you feel no high from point two five. None. It just makes my legs calm down and makes me sleepy. So there's essentially no side effects. You're not even feeling this drug. It's just hit targeting the specific thing that you need it for. It does make you a little tired. Okay. But not to the point, like if I'm sitting watching TV, I can get kind of drowsy. If I'm moving around or I'm, you know, with people and doing stuff, I don't even notice it. Yeah. And that also must be a bit of a trade-off because you must have been so tired from not being able to sleep from RLS that I wonder how does the fatigue balance from actually getting sleep, but having a medication in your system that might cause a little fatigue. Hmm, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to bed earlier. That's a good thing. It's also, it's all still so new. Yeah. Well, and I hope and pray that this is going to be a permanent thing because I don't want to have to be searching again. Yeah. Where do you find the strength to try things that other people might think are stigmatized? That's a good question. I'm gutsy. And if I have a problem, I want to be able to solve it. So I will try whatever. I mean, I do the research. I don't do it without thinking it through and finding out about what it is I'm going to take. But um, I will try things so that I can survive and I can function. Yeah. And it seems like that served you well. It has. It hasn't been fun, but it has served me well. Because, you know, eventually you get to a place that that works for you. What has this journey taught you about yourself? I'm pretty resilient. And I, I try real hard not to be resentful about it. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Because it doesn't help anything. And I just am grateful that I have worked hard to find what works for me. And I think also it's helped me learn more of a body awareness, Hmm. which is what helped me get off that first drug the first time instead of being on it for, you know, three years, five years, 10 years. I'm, I'm resilient. I'm, I'm smart (laughs) (laughs) because I do the research and I spend the time. I know a lot of people would not sit on the computer for three hours and read through forums, but when you're searching, you do it. Yeah. And now we have this, you know, pocket sized um, podcast that people can listen to where all of your research from the years and all your experiences distilled down into a few actionable things that people can try. So obviously, number one recommendation is this low dose of this opioid. Yes. If that's unavailable to people, what is your next recommendation? Well, number one, and I've tried to talk to other people who have RLS, Don't take the dopamine agonists because it's going to come back to bite you. Mm. Now, the first line of treatment is A, gabapentin, or B, a low-dose opioid. The key is to find the right doctor because, like, you know, my doctor who wouldn't give me tramadol, which is a pretty innocuous opioid. Also, if you're willing to do the research and you go on the RLS Foundation website there are things you can print off to give to your doctor. Mm, great idea. Whether they read them or not is, you know, you're, that's out of your control. What but. a great idea. That's a great yeah. idea. That, I'm still sure. learning stuff on this show. I've never <laughs> thought of that. Go to the foundation website, print off the information, take it to your doctor. It's so simple. Yeah. But I have, I mean, I, I've experienced this time and time again where I've read something anecdotal online that I want to try for my health. And I take it to my doctor and they say, we can't do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, my doctors now are amazing. You said you read it online. Yeah. My doctors now are, are amazing and are letting me do this type of stuff. And it's been mind-blowingly amazing. But back in the day, you know, before getting a diagnosis at my old medical center, I would just wall after wall after wall. And any tip that you that people can collect about, you know, how to 
talk to doctors how to interface with a doctor who is putting up a brick wall like that. Um, this is a great idea. <laughs> this is another great tip. Um, one that's worth repeating that I've heard many times is that I learned from doing this podcast is if you take something to your doctor and they say no, ask them to write it in your chart. Say, I'd like you to write in my chart that you refused to order this test or you refused to uh, prescribe this drug. Um, I like that idea. Yeah. And I've heard from a lot of people that that really made a difference, that the doctor then had a change of heart. So that's another good tip. But I, I love this, you know, print off the information from the foundation itself. It's really hard to navigate a system where, you know, a lot of doctors are going to be unwilling to listen and a lot of doctors will not be up to date and they will talk to you about things they learned in med medical school, maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Exactly. And, and tell you that that's what's happening in your body when the science has moved on and the doctor has not caught up. And it's really difficult. My strategy is often to just never go back to that doctor. <laughs> Me too. I've yeah. done that before. And you just have to be your own advocate. Right. You know, a lot of people are kind of afraid of doctors. They're like the gods that know everything and they don't and they aren't. And so we have to be our own advocate. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so hard because, you know, sometimes a doctor will take a look at your chart and say, hey, you've seen five other doctors. I don't know why you're here. And when you're, you're there because the other five doctors wouldn't listen to you. So there is a danger in, in doctor hopping as well. Yeah, it's, it's really, really complicated. And I always say, go to a research hospital, uh, you know, like University of Washington Medical Center changed my life. Research hospitals tend to seem to be more on the cutting edge of what's being done with research. Yeah, yeah. I have one more question for you mm -hmm. based off everything you've experienced and you know, you've been through so much searching for an answer and now you found it, which is incredible. I mean, I love hearing stuff like that on the podcast because it's chronic illness, disability often are unsolvable problems and it's all about learning to live with it, but you found an answer. Um, That's how I feel about you too. Yeah. I mean, that I, you finally have been able to, yeah. And that, you know, for me, finding an answer is, is the first step in a new process of learning to live with a disease, which is very complicated, but one I'm very excited to be on. But in your case, with everything that you've been through, aside from going back in time and giving yourself the answer, which is cheating, <laughs> if you could go back in time based off of everything you've learned and give yourself a piece of advice uh, to keep yourself going and keep pushing through, what would it be? don't put off finding information talking to people looking for a healthcare provider that can help you looking for a solution yeah you know luckily in my earlier days it wasn't that bad that i was almost to the point of being desperate but when i got to that point then i didn't stop until I found something that worked. Well, Elaine, please tell us uh, anything you'd like to share, um, any websites or anything that you'd like to plug to point our listeners in the direction of. Okay, so first one is rls.org. That's the RLS Foundation. There's massive amounts of research and articles on there. Um, a list of doctors that are specialists in RLS, which one of the one doctor I saw in California is. Um, there's a wonderful forum where you can talk with other RLS patients to get ideas, to moan and groan, to, you know, get comfort. Because this is definitely something where you need comfort. Mm. And then the other thing that was extremely helpful for me is I found a Facebook group, which... I was embarrassed to tell the doctor about, but he's, he was totally cool with it. That's fine. It's wherever you can get your information is fine. Um, and it's called RLS or restless leg syndrome worldwide support. And there's people on there from all over the world. Um, it's been a great comfort for me and a great source of information. Awesome. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes for this episode. That would be great. This is such a um, horrible affliction that I would like to be able to be there for people who kind of don't know which way to turn. Mm. 
for anybody that wants to email me with questions or, you know, the name of doctors, uh, anything, even just comfort, because yeah. we need it. Well, I, I love hearing that. I think that's so important. And if anyone would like to reach out to you, they can send me an email, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll forward it along. Perfect. Well, Elaine, this has been such a pleasure today. I'm so glad we did this. I've learned a ton. I've learned so much oh. about something that I actually have that I have not even put that much thought into. But, you know, because I have some experience with RLS, I can extrapolate what it would be like to have it be severe and constant. Mine is absolutely not, but it is. I hope it never. It, gets it has worse. gotten worse and is really annoying. So, <laughs> um, but I really appreciate your openness and willingness to discuss um, the medications you've tried, even some that may be stigmatized, uh, because that's so important to talk about. And also talking about this topic that is something that a lot of people brush off and shining a light on it and saying, hey, this is actually really difficult to live with, needs to be talked about. There are solutions out there and they're not being shared or talked about. What an incredibly important message to get out in the world. And I'm thrilled to be able to do that on this podcast and really appreciate you uh, sharing your time and your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me because I know it's important to get the, wor the word out and hopefully my sharing is gonna help other people. Absolutely, I'm sure it will. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncie, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.